Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I am joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, the guy who's definitely got a Vigilance First Strike and Trample counter on him. It's Matt Morgan. Joey, since I'm home, I tried using my spare time to learn how to read Braille, but just wasn't feeling it. <laughs> Ouch, Matt. Ouch. Uh, next, the guy who's definitely mutated a couple of times. It's Dana Roach. Uh, guess what has two thumbs? and just got his hair cut in the driveway with a pair of sewing scissors. You. This guy. You. <laughs> that uh, definitely sounds like a like a choice. In, anyway. in, my, in my wife's defense, she teaches first grade, so like <laughs> once a month she has to cut gum out of some kid's hair. So <laughs> she's semi-qualified. Goodness Good gracious. That sounds... I. I I can't see you right now on the call, but I'm excited <laughs> to see the episode to see how that turns out. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is a fantastic deck building website that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And what we like to do here on the podcast is give all that data a little bit of context. Guys, what are we talking about this week? This week, we're going to talk about the Commander Precons. We're going to talk about Akoria, but we're going to talk about the Precon decks for Commander 2020. We'll talk about the actual set itself later on. Yes, that will be next week. This particular episode will be just the cards from the precons, the new commanders, new cards that we're seeing in the decks, maybe even if we get a chance to talk about some of the reprints. But before we get there, we have to give a huge thanks to Josh Lequai and the whole team at the Command Zone for handling all of the post-production work on our podcast. Uh, as a quick note, actually, to give them enough time to give all the fantastic visuals that you're seeing on the screen right now, we are recording this show on the Monday when the deck lists were all spoiled, but it won't come out for a little while. So this episode might feel a little bit behind the times, but we just want to make sure that we give them as much time to make this show look as good as it does because they do certainly make it look really amazing. And we also want to thank our sponsors, Card Kingdom and TCG Player, who provide up-to-date card info for the card images on EDHREC. We are, given the current state of things, not quite sure where their operations will be by the time that this episode actually airs, but when everything settles, we cannot recommend them enough. Send them some business because their services really are great, and if you do end up using Card Kingdom, you can go to cardkingdom.com slash EDHREC to let them know that we sent you. All right, guys, let's waste no more time. We are getting right into this set review. So we are going to start with the first of the decks, the Jeskai Cycling List. Cycle, discard cards to draw cards. We've got three new commander options for the Jeskai Cyclers. Matt, start us off with our first one. So the first one for the Jeskai Cycling deck is Gavi Nest Warden. It is two in Jeskai colors, which is a blue, a red, and a white. For a legendary human shaman, it is a 2-5 that reads you may pay zero rather than or rather than pay the cycling cost of the first card you cycle each turn. Also has the ability of whenever you draw your second card each turn, create a 2-2 red and white dinosaur cat creature token. Quite a bit going on there. Yeah, interesting stuff there. The second card each turn trigger could be off of a Mystic Remora or a Ristic Study, so it doesn't have to be tied into the cycling, although that is probably the easiest way to do it. Interestingly, she does discount the first cycling uh, cost every turn, not all of them, which is good, because otherwise it would probably feel a little bit like it's doing some of the Miss ANG Falcon Wrath combo situation, so I like the restriction there, but that does mean that you probably have to cycle at least two cards per turn if you want to get that particular payoff. Um, before we even get to any other strategy notes about her, by the way, that discount cycling goes to zero seems really, really huge for the Decree cycle, like Decree of Annihilation, that have very expensive cycling costs, but then also triggered abilities when you cycle them. Right off the bat when I see Gavi, that is the synergy that pops out to me is like, uh-oh, that's big business. Well, it also is very, very good when you look at Dismantling Wave, which was one of our preview cards. Mm -hmm. If you can 
you know, bypass eight mana worth of cycling costs to destroy all artifacts and enchantments. That's a pretty big game. It's also worth noting it's it's each turn, mm-hmm. not just on your turn. So if you, you know, even just cast a brainstorm on someone else's turn, that's going to trigger the uh, dinosaur cat creature token. Yeah. It does feel... Um I don't want to say slow. Again, I like the restriction, but it is a little bit fiddly, maybe. Um, the tokens are the kind of thing that you will need a lot of them. I would say here, Divine Visitation to make those tokens into angels instead of just 2-2 two, two, so that they pack a bit more of a punch is probably something that you're going to need a whole lot of because it's a little bit fiddly otherwise. I mean, I think that Gavi is a better commander for the cycling deck than Savin was last year for the flashback deck. I, I think hmm. the, the I think the Jeskai deck and all these decks in general feel like complete decks much better than several decks in the past few years. I, I they they feel like they and they look like they're going to play very well out of the box. Gavi is a very good example of the commander playing very well with the cards in the 99. I would agree with that. I, I think it's gonna struggle to find win conditions. I think there's a lot of parts you need to have in this deck to have it function. You need X amount of cycling cards. You probably need something to buff those tokens. Um, There's just a lot that needs to be going on. I think it might have a tough time finding a way to close out games. But I think it's going to do what you want. If you want to play cycling, this is a commander for it. I, I I think it's kind of strange you guys are giving a little bit of shade to the flashback deck. I actually got the flashback deck last year. I played like six games with Savin at the helm, and I couldn't lose a single one of them. I thought the Savin was actually like really good for the flashback deck, but I guess I've been outvoted. So apologies for that, I guess. But uh, no, I'm, I'm kind of happy with her. She is much more the enabler than the win condition, though. You have to be very, very conscious of putting a lot of win conditions into this particular deck. I wonder if the next commander might serve as one of those, though. This is Akeem the Soaring Wind. Five mana, Jeskai, bird, dinosaur, a 3-4 with flying. Whenever you create one or more tokens for the first time each turn, you create a 1-1 white bird creature token with flying, and you can pay six mana, that's three blue, red, and a white, and creature tokens you control gain double strike until end of turn. I'm not sure that I'm impressed by Akeem necessarily, but Dana, where are you at? It's much easier to figure out how you're going to win. You don't need to mess around with a bunch of cycling in this deck. You just need to put things that make tokens and probably some anthems, and you have a double strike enable right there on the commander. I think it's there's a lot less pieces required in the deck for it to function. Um, and there's, you know, there's not a... Um, insignificant amount of things that make birds or bird tokens out there. So if you want to lean into the tribal effect, that's there as well. There's populate mechanics in white. There's a lot of anthems. I think there's a, there's it, it's a much clearer path to victory, I think, in this deck than maybe it is in Gavi. The populate, I love. That's a really great uh, idea, especially for this thing. Populate, I can super get behind. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that this is probably... Finding a way to win is going to be much easier with Akeem versus Gavi. Uh being able to play, you know, a favorable wins, then you play a gravity shift, yeah. and then you double strike your team like that right away is going to, yeah, that, that's going to yeah. win games by itself right there. And that's a three card, not really combo, but just three powerful cards that kind of add up together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, yeah. It, it, and it, well, I think it's worth pointing out too, bird dinosaur is usually going to be one of the weirdest creature types that we see. That's not even the weirdest creature type <laughs> in this deck. Uh, that is certainly true. I think that this one is like very, very uh, categorically different than Gavi because Akeem is the card that helps you win, but it is also a win more, especially that effect. It only works if you're already making tokens. Um, so it doesn't get your engine going, but it can help you close things out. Whereas Gavi really needs you to close things down um, to really have a win condition for the game, but is a much better engine. So that is a very interesting dichotomy between these two commanders, um, but not nearly as interesting as the next two commanders that we're talking about, because we've got a pair of partners 
Matt, you just said that bird dinosaur wasn't the craziest thing. I think the shark bird is probably the craziest this... thing. I don't even know if I can read these with a straight face. Dana, can you take this one, please? <laughs> we have Shabraz the Sky Shark for three white blue, five mana total for a legendary creature shark bird, like you said. <laughs> uh, and it has partner with Bralin Sky Shark Rider. Um, Shabraz has flying, and whenever you draw a card, put a plus one counter on Shabraz the Sky Shark and gain a life. And for a hybrid Orzhov, target human gains flying until end of turn. Excuse me, hybrid Azorius. Brown Sky Shark Rider is three and a red for a human shaman, something that you can give flying with Shabraz. <laughs> um, whenever you discard a card, put a plus one counter on Brown Sky Shark Rider, and it deals one damage each opponent. And it also has red target shark gains trample until end of turn. I shall refer to them as Shark Ski and Hutch. <laughs> that, is, that is well played. That works. Um, what, what, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I don't know that I can even evaluate these. I actually do think that they are more powerful than the previous two commanders that we just saw though. I, I really like partner with too. I mean, you're just going to win the game if you have eight cards in hand at the end of the turn and you have like a curiosity or, or a Aphidian eye, um, on Brown because you have to kind of do that thing that you do with Gitrog monster where you have to discard a card, which deals a damage, which mm. is going to then, you know, draw you a card and, you're just going to kill everybody. So <laughs> yeah. there's there's a win a one card win condition right there in in, in the deck. So we're, yeah, that's it's definitely going to be able to find wins easier if you want to go that route. Yeah, Brelin is absolutely the kind of win condition that a deck like Cycling needs. It's also amazing if you're playing any sort of wheel deck or if you're playing Miss Angie Falconrath or something like that. This is very much the kind of thing that is very, very deadly. Reminds me a little bit of Locust God or Psychosis Crawler, the decks that want to take advantage of wheeling things. Cycling also probably works really well with them, but it really does want to air a lot more into the wheel spells, the windfalls and things like that. Goodness, this is crazy, but everyone on the podcast may notice a bit of Joey's tone. I do think that this particular set is a bit more wonky than I'm normally comfortable with. In particular, I think it maybe kind of jumped the shark, literally. <laughs> well, I, I think Angie's a good comparison here. I mean, I played in the last, you know, how long since that deck's been out, close to a year. I've probably played, I don't know, 10 different Angie Falconrath decks, and they've all been kind of the same deck. Um, you know, yes, you can build Brown in probably a way where you go straight for that curiosity combo win. But I would almost guarantee in a year when I look back, I've seen a lot of like really weird meme decks or just like stupid stuff built with this pair in a way that you didn't get with Angie. I think this lends itself to people having fun with it. Um, not that, you know, Angie isn't fun, but like, I mean, fun as in being creative and thinking outside the box in a way that maybe Angie didn't. I mean, having a shark bird automatically means yeah. you're thinking outside the box. Like, right, yes. Like the, that, the, yeah. the, the dartboard of creature types <laughs> with all these commanders begins and ends with bird shark thing. Of the commanders in this deck, I will absolutely not be surprised when Shabraz and Brawlin become the most popular of these, both because of their mimetic value, but also because I do think that they are more interesting, more diverse, and more powerful than the previous two Jeskai commanders. Um, if you are going to go more cycling, then Gavi's great for that. If you like the Jeskai tokens, then Akeem is interesting. Might have a little bit of competition with Kaikar's already occupied space, because Kaikar does also make a lot of tokens, but the most original here are probably Shabraz and Brawlin in terms of what they can open the doors to. I mean, all the different stuff that you're able to do, even if I will never be able to comprehend the shark bird. Uh, we're going to move from Jeskai into our next color pair, uh, excuse me, our next color wedge, because we are talking about the Sultai Mutate deck, which is helmed by Otrimi, the other, the 
ever playful. I'm sorry, I stumbled on pronouncing that one because I'm pretty sure Otrimi is the sound that the Jawas make in Star Wars. I'm not sure. <laughs> anyway, Matt, can you tell us about it? So, Otrimi. Otrimi. <laughs> the ever playful three insult eye colors. That is a black, a green, and a blue for a legendary nightmare beast. 6-6 six, six with mutate for one insult eye colors. Uh, Otrimi has trample. And also, whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, return target creature card with mutate from your graveyard to your hand. So this is all about enabling as many mutate creatures as you can handle in one deck, just stocking up on those and then recurring them turn over turn. Yeah, so mutate, you can cast it for that four mana. If you cast it for the mutate cost, you put it over or under a non-human creature that you own, not just something you control, but that you specifically own. They mutate into the creature that you put on top and they get all abilities from creatures underneath it. So really this isn't even so much a commander as it is an aura, but regardless of whether you put this on top or on bottom of that pile of creatures, the creature that is mutated will count as your commander, so you can do some commander damage stuff. This definitely seems like the kind of deck that is going to benefit from a lot of uh, when you cast this sort of effects. Uh, when you cast a creature like a Zendikar Resurgent, you'll draw cards. Um, loading up a creature to have a whole bunch of mutate triggers, getting them back if they ever die. This is a little strange. I'm not really sure that I'm here for it. Usually if I want a big pile of stuff. If I want to make a creature really big, I'll do that with ores or equipment. But where are you guys at with this whole mutate stuff? Dana, you've mutated a few times. How do you feel about yeah. it? I think it's real simple. I think if you want to play a mutate deck, you play it. I think this doesn't offer anybody anything who doesn't want to play that deck. I think luckily Akoria proper is going to give us some more mutate creatures. Definitely. Um, we've seen them already. So you're not entirely restricted to cards that are just in this deck. You will have an option to to upgrade it with some stuff from Akoria um, and then maybe never get an upgrade for another six or eight years till you get more mutate stuff in some other set. So I just know that going in when you build your mutate deck, it might not change a whole lot for a couple years. Um, and that's maybe okay. I think it's that's it. It's just, it's, it's, it is what it is. I, I think simple is an interesting word for you to use because I actually asked a well. <laughs> rules question. Like if you blink the mutated creature, let's say you've got a big pile of stuff, um, what happens if you blink it? And I got three different answers. The, the some, mechanic some, isn't remotely simple. Yes, yeah, some right. folks told me that all the creatures go to the graveyard because they're treated like auras. Some people said that they would all come back uh, almost like bestow. And some other folks said that it all comes back as one creature. Um, I believe that the correct one is that they all come back as their separate component parts. But there was confusion even among like, how does that interaction work that I think is very important to note. So simple in terms of the straightforwardness of the gameplay, I can see what you mean because you make a creature big, it mutates a lot to get some triggered effects. But in terms of the actual complexity, this is up there on the mechanical scale. It's almost like the, the rules are mutating. Oh my goodness. Right. Okay. With that, Matt, tell us about our next commander in this Sultan mutate. So the next commander, Z Zaxara, Zasara, something like that. The exemplary. We'll just go with the exemplary. So the exemplary is one in Sultai colors, has a 2-3 Nightmare Hydra with Death Touch. You can tap it to add two mana of any one color, and whenever you cast a spell with X in its mana cost, you create a 0-0 green Hydra creature token, then put X-1-1 counters on it. So you basically get to make a bunch of X creatures whenever you cast an X spell. So if you villainous wealth somebody for 10, you make a 10-10 token as well, which is nuts. <laughs> that is pretty good. Uh, looking just through some of the most popular spells that contain X, uh, according to EDHREC, we are seeing stuff like Exsanguinate, Torment of Hailfire, Pull from Tomorrow. Any of the finales from War of the Spark would also be really, really great. Uh, Death Cloud is actually one that I think would be especially good with Zaxara because, you know, you're going to make everyone else sacrifice a bunch of stuff and then it will make for you a huge Hydra 
Hydra sort of token. Um, but yeah, X spells. It's a little strange that a three color card is what provides you with mana fixing, but X spells. Yeah, again, I mean, I think this one's pretty straightforward. You're going to run Hydra's with X in the casting cost, and you're going to fill up the deck with other spells with X in the casting cost, and that's kind of where it goes, and that's fine. I, mean, I think that this card is probably one of the more one of the more commanders that people have been waiting on for a while. Yeah. Uh, I think Sultai Colors in general, they haven't really had a good plus one, plus one counter type of commander. We've had plenty of Simic com- commanders that have had plus one, plus one counters. We've had plenty of Golgari, but we've never had anything combine all three of those colors. So... Zaxara and then our partner commanders that we're going to talk about in a second, they fill that role. And that's kind of that, those niche commanders that we talked about a couple times where they didn't have these before. So we're, it's it's nice having niche commanders fit those niches that didn't have anything to lead the decks before. Yeah, you just mentioned the partner commanders. These are the ones that I think also really take the cake. The partners, I think almost down the line, most of these partners in these decks are the ones that stand out to me. The next two that we've got here in the Sultai deck are Okima, Stalking Shadow, and Kazur, Ruthless Stalker. Okima is a three mana, two, two whale wolf that partners with Kazur. Okima cannot be blocked. And when it leaves the battlefield, it deals X damage to target player and you gain X life where X is its power. Then there's Kazur, a three mana, three, three human warrior in green. And whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, you put a plus one counter on that creature. Matt, like you were just saying, this is great with plus one counters, but I actually find the tension in these commanders very, very strange because to my eyes, Kazura is like actively fighting against what Ukima wants this deck to do. The optimal strategy to me appears to be to load as much power as you can onto Ukima, who is unblockable and will deal damage if it leaves. You want that to be as powerful as it can be. Whereas Kazura is really asking you to go wide a bit more. Like a lot of the most popular cards that replicate Kazura's ability include things like Drana, Liberator of Malakir, which is really only popular in Edgar, a go wide deck, or Rakish Air also puts counters on things when they deal damage to players. Also in a go-wide deck like Edgar, uh, Tempered Sliver doesn't show up in too many Sliver decks, but again, that's a go-wide strategy, and that is another thing that when a creature deals damage to a player, it gets a plus one counter. Not super popular. I, I actually don't even think this is necessarily a two-commander deck. This is a deck where you have Ukima as your commander, and you happen to be able to play green spells, because you don't even need to cast Kazuar. You just want to play green spells that pump up Ukima. Ukima has hidden text in a card that says you may also play green spells in this deck. <laughs> Yeah. See, see, I mean, I, I, I'm going to push back against that idea, Joey. I think this might be a little bit like your Ray on an Ishai deck where you distribute counters, but then you compile them onto one creature for big, big swings. So if, if you do want to go wide and you compile a bunch of counters on your army, you know, with, with Kazer, then you bioshift everything onto Akima for a lethal attack, or you have Rayhan, so you sacrifice a bunch of creatures with plus one, plus one counters, then everything goes on Akima. I, I think those types of decks where you can kind of navigate everything, or say if everybody does kill Akima in response to you going for lethal, sacrifice Akima and just move those counters again. So I think that... I think it might be a little more similar to your Rayon and Ishai deck that you do those type of, types of things in more than you're kind of saying they're, they're battling against each other with a strategy. I, I am absolutely putting Okima into the Rayon Ishai deck. I am also absolutely putting Okima into my Mimeoplasm deck because an unblockable thing that does damage when it dies and also that I can naturally make into a really big thing, like that sounds amazing. I just, Kazuar is very, very go wide. And even if we are transferring counters from one to another, I would rather that that be something like a Managorger Hydra or Forgotten Ancient that's able to also grow big unto itself and then shift just one creatures counters over as opposed to Kazur wants you to attack with lots of little things. It just doesn't seem to be what that's about. Uh, um, the, the last note though, that I think that we should mention for this particular, <laughs> yeah, you, you don't get to respond to that because we got to keep going. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm dictatorship I'm say, on this podcast. <laughs> Por que no los dos? Why not both? I've tried both in that okay. Rehanish. Oh, well, no, no, no. You don't get, you, now you don't get to rebuttal. Now we're going to move on. No, no, no. There's one last note that we have to mention. Ukima is a damage trigger when it okay. leaves the battlefield, which means if you give this thing infect and then it hits someone because it's unblockable, you can infect them out and then you make it leave the battlefield, it will deal damage. And that's another infect source. So that is also very, very powerful for these commanders too. Now we can move on, Matt, and talk oh, okay. about our next deck. So our next deck is going to be the Mardu. Looks like a bunch of humans, judging by what the commanders look like. But the first one we're going to talk about is Jirino Kudra, which is one in Mardu colors, which is red, white, and black. For a 3-3 legendary human soldier, Has and when Jirino Kudro enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 white human creature soldier token. For each time you've cast the commander from the command zone in this game, also has what other humans you control get plus 2, plus 0. Of all the... Uh, of all the tribal focuses in this set, uh, like, you know, we've got flying sharks and bird dinosaurs. I'm shocked that humans are the tribe that we got support for. Um, I am not impressed. I am beyond unimpressed. It, it makes sense based on the the story from the Akoria and the world. So I do get the logic. It is strange seeing them in Mardu. I, I think this is basically, it's the human version in the the fixed quote unquote version of Edgar Markov, where sure. you, you, you want to be playing obvious tribal synergies but you want to be casting Jarena. Jarena doesn't have eminence like Edgar Markov infamously, we should say, had. So it doesn't get, just get to sit there in the command zone the entire time. You, you're encouraged to actually be casting Jarena and you don't get the buff for all of your human creatures unless Jarena is on the battlefield. So I see this more as instead of just sitting back and never casting Edgar other than for like flare points and to show off, you want to build up a board and then use this kind of as an anthem to make a lethal swing. So I, I don't hate it. I just I, it, I keep comparing this to Edgar Markov and it just keeps coming short. Yeah, that's that's really it. I, I just can't even, especially because if we look at Idiotrek's uh, human tribal theme page, a lot of the humans that get used most tend to be green, such as cards like Heron's Grace Champion when you're looking for a human tribal deck. And this doesn't even get access to that. I'm just super not here for this one. I don't think that there's a lot that you can do or that even will feel necessarily. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just want to stop talking about it. I, I <laughs> don't think that this one's exciting. Uh, this one feels like it kind of got the short end of the stick and that makes me very, very sad. Even though it shares a last name with Lisa Kudrow. Uh, so let's move on to our uh, next commander in the Mardu deck. See if that one's any better. We have uh, Kelsey and the Plague next for straight up Mardu with three mana for a human assassin. Uh, Kelsey and the Plague has Vigilance and Haste and a Kelsey and the Plague gets plus one, plus one for each experience counter you have. So we're seeing our first uh, callback to experience counters in quite a few years. It also has an activated ability that taps to do one damage target creature you don't control and when that creature dies this turn, you get an experience counter. So it's kind of a legendary version of Blood Cultist a little bit, a pinger yeah. that when those things die, it gets bigger. Um, give this thing death touch immediately and play Mardu, control the board because it will deal damage and then kill the things and then you'll just be sitting really, really happy with that. Yeah, it feels kind of like Mathis did. It's weird. Both of these Mardu commanders feel like previous Mardu commanders they've done. This feels a lot like Mathis where you're trying to kill off specific creatures and then, you know, reward yourself for doing so. I'm not particularly interested by either of these two. I, I'm just not a Mardu player in general, though. 
But I do agree with you, Joey. These aren't terribly exciting because it feels just like a twist on something we've already seen before. At the very least, you can give this Death Touch and then use the card Thornbite Staff, an equipment that will untap this card, uh, the, the equipped creature, whenever another creature dies. So if you do give it Death Touch and then can just barrel down the entire board, basically, because you ping something, it dies, it untaps, it pings something, it dies, it untaps. That's a very effective method of controlling the board, and then that powers up this commander to hopefully finally deal the lethal swing. It is also, like you said, something that maybe we've seen a little bit before. And in terms of Mardu control, Queen Marchesa usually takes my heart for that particular strategy, so it's a strange balance there, I would say. Uh, while, while these aren't particularly exciting, um, I understand what they're for. I, I, I get the fact that there's supposed to be a deck built around them versus I think some commanders we had in the past, like uh, it's easy to point at Kalemni or, or Anya, Merciless Archangel, where I don't understand who they thought wanted that deck. There's nobody that was like, I want to build the fifth best Boros Angel. <laughs> well, I want to build the you know sixth best version of Tajik. No one has ever said that. Whereas these, I understand understand someone who looks at these cards and says, I want to build that deck. Even if I don't like them, I, I understand the, the desire to build around them. All right. So then my next question for you, Dana, will be if that same understanding applies to the next two commanders, these are the partners for the Mardu deck. Um, Again, I approach with hesitation. Uh, Trin, a champion of freedom, a three mana, three, three human soldier. That's three and a white. It partners with Silvar, devourer of the free. At the beginning of your end step, if you attacked this turn, you create a one, one white human soldier creature token. That is it on this four mana, three, three white mythic creature. That is what that creature does. Uh, so it's partner, Silvar, devourer of the free. Five mana, four, two cat nightmare. Partners with Trin, of course. It has menace and you can sacrifice a human to put a plus one counter on Silvar. Silvar and it gains indestructible until the end of turn. Dana, where does the understanding on that one Man, lie? I, okay, this feels like somebody who just wants to build a weird like emo anime deck. <laughs> I guess. I, I mean, there's there's a lot of flavor here. It's a really interesting combination of cards, but I don't know what you do with it. The flavor is indeed horrifying. It looks like Trin is rescuing humans from maybe some type of corrupt city and then feeding them to her pets. Yes. So that's the terrifying, but also the most interesting thing about this uh, card. I I can't be here for this one. This is not how I want a Mardu Aristocrats deck to work. I don't want it to be restricted by creature types. I don't like that she only makes one creature per turn if you've attacked. This seems beyond slow for the type of things that I think it wants to be doing compared to what we know Mardu is capable of doing because it's so aggro. I'm just not impressed. I, I will defend it by saying even if it's bad, it's fun, which Anya and Kalemne never were. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm going to go against this deck and against these partners because Cat Nightmare is doublespeak. A cat is a nightmare and nightmares are cats <laughs> name a cat that Fair. has not tried to plot to kill you that's why this the flavor is good but the, it doesn't need to be cat nightmare it can be one of the one or either doesn't matter because they both mean the same thing oh my goodness you know what that's a take i guess i can get behind so we're going to move on now into the teamer color combination that's where we're going to talk about the marquee commander here which is calamax the storm sire one green blue and a red for a four four elemental dinosaur when you cast your first instant spell each turn if if Calamax the Stormsire is tapped, copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy, and whenever you copy an instant spell, put a plus one plus one counter on Calamax the Stormsire. Elemental dinosaurs, we're just copying things. I'm not really sure what the identity of the deck is, though. Do you guys have 
any sort of idea because I'm I'm needing I, some help. It is it's it is a teamer teamer deck. Yeah, I guess that's <laughs> that's a good way to put it. It only copies an instant though, which I think is a, a little bit restrictive, and that does slightly differentiate it from Riku, who can copy other types of spells, but it does cost mana. Riku can also make tokens though. I guess I'm not sure if I'm necessarily seeing something that takes me off of the interest that I would have for Riku and moves me more into Kalamax. That's my exact thought too, yeah. Someone could build a deck with a bunch of like fork type effects to copy the um, sorcery speed extra turn spells and like make an extra turn deck but i feel like there's just way easier ways to do that if you want to build all the extra turns and i don't think there's even a beneficial way to tap calamax really other than attacking and there's not always going to be beneficial attacks yeah that's why i i 100 agree with you joey riku does everything that calamax might be wanting to do only much much safer yes there's a little bit of a man investment most of the time, I'd rather pay mana, though, to get a double of, a, of any spell than to put my commander at risk like you have to do with Kalamax. I think it is interesting that he can attack and then you can cast the instant and maybe get rid of creatures, for example, if a Chaos Warp or something like that. I'm looking right now through the top instants from EDH Rec, though, um, and a lot of the most popular instants are probably not the kind of thing that you need to double necessarily. Uh, a Cyclonic Rift, for example, is going to be good with the overload, regardless of whether that sure. is copied. Um, but, you know, a Beast Within or a Chaos Warp could be kind of nice to, to copy. I think that actually the thing that might make him slightly more interesting than Riku is to use again a lot of those X spells like we saw with the previous Sultime mana adding commander um, because X would be copied. So with Kalamax, attack with him and then cast some type of X instant such as a Stroke of Genius or a Pull from Tomorrow or a Comet Storm and then that will be doubled and that saves you a bit on mana. That's probably the most interesting take that I would have for Kalamax where you want to make some big, 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 super big X spell and then he will copy that additional thing for you. That's probably where I would want to but, go. But in that case, I feel like Mizzet are just going to do that more easily and you know i don't know what green adds to that scenario really either i mean i i think there is probably going to be some sort of super aggro deck with calamax maybe you attack you set up a bad block for somebody maybe they try to chump it and you tight you know maybe you berserk and in response sure. to both of the berserks you tighten strength and you just dome somebody for lethal sure but i mean i that's going to be kind of a one-trick pony type of deck too i think it'll be fine, but I'm not terribly excited about it personally. I actually really like what you just mentioned. The combat tricks, something like Berserk or other pump spells that you would use on this guy. He attacks and then you play a pump spell on him that then gets copied up. I actually really dig that That's now that you mentioned that. Literally That's the deck I was cool. making in Is It Colors and then this came out and I'm like, well, this is just going to be a better version of that same deck. Sure. I mean, I'm, if you, I'm if here you need for that, somebody, though. if you need somebody to look for the combat step, you can just turn to me. All right. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's actually a really great way to differentiate it from other stuff that we've seen before to make this a bit more combat trick focused for the instance. That's, I think, a really cool build. And that definitely takes me by surprise. So I hope it takes other people by surprise, too. Uh, let's move to the next team or commander. This is Zyrus, the Writhing Storm. Five mana, three, five snake Leviathan with flying. Whenever an opponent draws a card, except the first one they draw in each of their draw steps, you create a one, one green snake creature token. And whenever it deals combat damage to a player, that's Zyrus, not the snake token. Whenever Zyrus deals combat damage to a player, you and that player each draw that many cards. So it looks like the Jeskai shark pair are not the only ones that care about wheels. This is very much a deck that wants you to make a lot of tokens, play a lot of wheels to make all those tokens, you know, windfall into Locust God your heart out, and then presumably cast something like an overwhelming stampede to turn all those tokens super lethal. Yeah, you kind of summed up the deck right there. I I think you're going to focus on the first ability, not the flying, but the whenever opponent draws a card ability. The combat trigger, I'm not 
terribly impressed with. Giving opponents cards is, is rarely good, especially when you're giving them a chance to draw into answers for what you're doing. Even if you are making a 1-1, one, one, you, you have to have a Perforos out so that you, whenever you make your tokens, you're doming them for damage. That's the only way I'm really going to get into that combat damage trigger. I mean, you're in the right colors to run Psychic Possession, so you draw a card whenever the opponent that you have um, targeted with Psychic Possession draws a card, so I guess... That would be that is, maybe that fun. Is, that is your favorite card, I I'm know. not sure it's, you know, a reason to build a deck or it's great, but it, it would be funny. Yeah, it, it reminds me of the ability on Diviner Spirit, which came from, I think, Commander 2013. Um, and looking at that thing's page, this was a 5-mana 2-4 when it deals combat damage to a player. You and that player each draw that many cards. That only shows up in, at present, 257 decks. Um, I, I don't think that that's a desirable ability is basically it. So you really do want to focus on the wheels, the wheels, the wheels to make a really big board full of stuff and use, like you mentioned, a Perforos or an Impact Tremors uh there matt to really make that payoff or resort to some really classic green spells like a overwhelming stampede to really make that all close out that's going to be i think the most efficient way to make this deck really pop well when the wheels fall off of that commander we can always play this next partner pair and i'm going to talk about it now because i just want to talk about the doggo so of course so so the partner pairing here is haldan avid arcanist and paco arcane retriever so paco is three in gruel color so a, a red and a green for a three three Elemental Hound uh, partners with Halden Ar- Avid Arcanist. Paco has haste, and whenever Paco Arcane Retriever attacks, exile the top card of each player's library and put a fetch counter on each of them. Put a plus one, plus one counter on Paco for each non-creature card exiled this way. I am... Oh, it's, a, it's such a good boy. He's retrieving, even though he does kind of look like a Bloodhound. Maybe a little bit of a Rottweiler. Who knows? I'm nitpicking here, but it's just a very good boy. And Halden? You didn't finish. You were too obsessed I, with the good boy. I, I just need to talk about the dog. But we'll talk about Halden, too. Uh, Avid Arcanist, he's two and a blue for a one four human wizard partners with Paco you may play non-creature cards from exile with fetch counters on them if you exiled them and you may spend mana as though or any color mana to cast those spells so it's not quite as good as say uh, the elder dinosaur the mono red one that you get to cast everybody's spells for free help me on the card name joey Itali. Itali, yes, that one. Not quite as good as that, but you do get access to blue. The, you, I think you're playing this deck all about the flavor, though. It's Also, it's a very 75% deck. It's not going to be crazy overpowered because the only spells that you're copying and stealing are going to be spells that people are playing themselves. So it's not going to crush anybody who's fairly new, but you'll also be able to hang with people. So at least it has that going for it. But other than that, I, I think it's just a flavor super home run, grand slam, if you will. But that's about all you can say about the, the commanders themselves. Eight mana to maybe win is a whole lot um and if it works it works but it's not terribly reliable i tend to agree you're playing this because you want to play the the cards as your commanders and and you know do something uh goofy and there's plenty of room for that in this game so that's fine definitely i i do think i play a lot of partner decks i really enjoy the partner dynamic i have veerdas and gorm i have rehan and ishai stuff like that um the particular play patterns between them is really what you need to balance out and this one in particular paco is the one that you're going to be playing out the gate you don't need both of these in play at the same time Mm -hmm. That is a really common error I find among uh, the partner play styles is that you really don't need both of them. Paco, you Paco, 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 you get a whole (laughs) bunch of stuff with this. And then later, after if that no longer becomes a viable strategy, if the combat that he's doing isn't enough, after you've exiled a handful of spells, that's when late game you can slam down Halden and then make use of the non-creatures later. That's going to be the most efficient way uh, to do this. Get a huge pile of stuff that you've fetched rather than just one at a time and then hope to cast it with Halden. I do worry a little bit when you're playing with cards from other people's decks, specifically 
specifically with the restriction of non-creature like Halden has here, um, that you are going to rely upon your own cards to be a bit more staply. I do think that this is the type of deck that runs the risk of having a lot of the classic staples within its own 99 because it's relying so much on the weird wackiness of other players and that unpredictability means that you need some more reliable cards in your own deck. That is a thing that I am a little afraid of, but it still looks like an interesting dynamic there where you collect a bunch of stuff and then he can play them later for you. Yeah, but but even doing that, Joey, I, I get what you're saying. You The, the strategy makes sense, um, but you are in colors that draw cards anyway, and you could just play a commander <laughs> that's good and then draw cards with your own cards and have a full hand anyway versus relying on having a full grip from other people. I just think it's a really a roundabout way to go about doing what you could very easily do in these colors with good commanders. So, okay, you're not even wrong necessarily because Maelstrom <laughs> Wanderer is a thing that exists. I, I don't understand why you hate the, the good boy doggo. Um, that's, but, but you know, I, I just... I think that there's a way to make it work and especially a way to make it uh, kind of weird, wacky, fun, and zany. Um, Agreed. I, I agree you, with that totally. If you are looking for something that is going to be, you know, really pack a huge punch within the teamer colors, I am not sure this is yes. uh, going to be as impactful as some of the other options that we have. But impactful isn't necessarily what you want. Sometimes sure. you just want to play fetch. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we're going to move on now to the next one. Um, Dana, this is where I take your curmudgeonly crown a little bit because our Abzan keyword deck is the next one. And this is where we have the keyword counters and Joey's smile becomes a little bit fixed. Can someone else talk about this, please? <laughs> we have a uh, Cathril Aspect Weaver for two in Abzan, so five mana total for a Nightmare Insect. And there's so much text in this card, just, <laughs> just so much. Um, when Cathril Aspect Weaver enters battlefield, put a flying counter on any creature you control if a creature card in your graveyard has flying. Repeat this process for first strike, double strike, death touch, hexproof, indestructible, lifelink, menace, reach, trample, vigilance, flanking, not flanking. Um, <laughs> then put a plus one counter on Cathril for each counter put onto a creature this way. I, I already everything, forgot. I already everything forgot but haste. I do need to say, Dana, though, it is aspect warper, not weaver. We Oh, yeah. Sorry, warper. Sorry, there were too, so many words that yeah, he, uh, he no, just couldn't I, read them. I, I don't blame you, yeah. Uh, I can't. I, I'm not a fan of the keyword uh, counters that they're putting onto things. Uh, particularly, uh, this is going to make a very, very muddled board state. This deck is going to need to have like 10 or 11 of the punch out counter things for you to have to make this thing uh, really, really great. If you blink this one, I think it just sort of becomes a nightmare. Um, are you guys intrigued by it, though? Regardless of the finicky bits about it, do you think that this makes for a compelling commander in the Ops on Colors? I think this is going to make a very powerful army. Yeah. I, I It's very powerful. It's very wordy and it's very complex. I do agree that the amount of words on here and just the amount of accessories that you're, if you love jewelry and handbags and all sorts of accessories, and anything else that is bling, this commander's for you because you'll get to use so many different dices and counters and everything. Sure. I, but I do think that is a powerful deck. The fact that the counters stick around, even if Catherill dies or the creature that enabled Hexproof, for example, if that creature leaves your graveyard, the counter still stays as well. So I think I like the idea of the keyword counters, but I, I just, it's very complex, but I also can't think of a cleaner way to execute it. It's, yeah, I, I also think it's a little strange that the card from the Ikoria set proper, Crystalline Giant, it doesn't have double strike, whereas this one does. There's a weird thing happening there with the, I, I don't know. I, I I guess I shouldn't linger too much on it. This, uh, 
is certainly different within the Obzon colors than some of the stuff that we've seen before. That is something I can appreciate. And if you are able to land something like the Majestic Muriac or the Audric style cards, mm-hmm. the Concerted Effort Enchantment, which those will let you share those abilities all around so you can spread things out and then make them all into very, very fascinating creatures. That is certainly the direction to take with this deck. There are plenty, plenty of creatures that you can use uh, to make sure that that actual strategy will work out. So I, I think that this strategy is going to be good when you're able to implement it. It will just be be prepared to be a little bit fussy on the board with a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. That is the uh, the main thing. I, you, you hit a really good point. I think Audric Lunark Marshall and like Rayami First of the Fallen, it's kind of a amalgamation of those two decks where it's just... Mm-hmm. I was putting together kind of a brainstorm list of Catherall, and a lot of those cards are in the deck. The deck itself actually looks pretty close to what I would build for Catherall. So that is something to be said for the pre-con. Yeah, the pre-con, I think, functions pretty well for Catherall. I should say that. Yeah, and it will be interesting. This is the kind of commander that will always get better because they keep on making plenty of creatures that have lots of keywords on them, for sure. Uh, our next one is Tiam Luminous Enigma. This is a four mana Obzon creature. It's a Nightmare Beast 3-3. Each other creature you control enters the battlefield with an additional Vigilance counter on it, and you can pay three mana and remove three counters from among creatures you control to mill yourself for three cards, put the top of your cards into your graveyard, and then you return a permanent card with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Gotta admit, as soon as I saw an Obzon card with a colorless activated ability that has the potential to go infinite by using lots of counters, I was surprised. <laughs> That's nothing like Gave Goover of Spores. Nothing at all. <laughs> this strikes me as a commander that goes infinite very, very easily, and I will not be shocked at all to see a lot of those components uh, show up on its Ediatrek page whatsoever. A lot of undying or persist creatures to get additional counters, which this can then remove, so that then you can sacrifice them for mana to it as something like maybe an Ash Nod's altar, and then start getting all of these things, this engine chugging, lots of mana, put almost your entire deck into play. This is very much an engine as I see it. I think it's an engine, but I think it's an engine that when you play, you're going to spend the whole time saying, well, I can do this stuff much easier if I just played Gave Guru of Spores. Right. Potentially, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Like, especially when it comes to some other things like Priest of Gix or Cathodian, for example, which actually make the mana that you would need. Cathodian, for example, artifact creature, when it dies, it creates three mana. That's the kind of thing that then will, you know, fuel up Tyam. There are a few other doors that maybe make this slightly easier or in a slightly different way. You can get a lot of death triggers in this way that maybe Azulaport Cutthroat can help you, you know, clinch victory out. Um, I don't know. Maybe Gave is a little bit easier, but I, I feel like trying to make Tyam work is almost inevitably going to accidentally lead into combo territory. And that makes me a little bit concerned when I would see this commander across the table. So I, I'm not near as scared of, of Tyam as, as you are, Joey. I, I think there will be some oops moments, but I think overall, whatever Tyam is doing, other other commanders in the colors are already doing it, yeah. but better. Like you said, Gave, Carador, Catherall even, I, I think that they're already doing anything that Tyam might be doing, except they're just going to be doing it a little more efficiently, a little better. I just, I'm not, to put it in, in Joey words, I'm just not that compelled. <laughs> wow. Thank you for that. Thank you very much for that. Uh, I guess my bigger concern then, if you know, if that's the takeaway that we're having, my bigger concern will be how many times am I going to accidentally confuse Tyam with Tygam? That'll be a fun game to play. Several, yes. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Let's move now to our final pair of commanders. These are the partners for the Obzon keyword deck. Matt, do you want to take it away here? 
I sure can. So Nakara Lair Scavenger is two and a black for a 2-2 human cleric. Partners with Yannick Scavenging Sentinel. Uh, Nakara has menace, and whenever a creature you control leaves the battlefield, if it had one or more counters on it, you draw a card and you lose one life. And then Yannick Scavenging Sentinel is two green-white for a 3-3 hyena beast. Partners with Nakara. Uh, Yannick has vigilance, and whenever Yannick Scavenging Sentinel enters the battlefield, exile another creature you control until Yannick leaves the battlefield when you do distribute x plus one plus one counters among any number of target creatures where x is the exiled creature's power so lots going on there but you're able to manipulate plus one plus one counters draw some cards lose a little bit of life but overall it seems actually kind of impressive compared to the other two what do you guys think this is a note that I am so happy to end on. These are easily my favorite commanders of the entire set that we've seen. I, again, love partners a whole lot. I have a Rayhan and Nisha deck, but frankly, I am thinking of building this one too. Rayhan and Nisha goes very tall, but this is a deck that encourages you to go wide and doesn't fall into some of those same infinity traps that you see with Gabe, for example. I mean, the plus one counters in particular is such a fascinating strategy to me because they are in some ways a little bit like auras. You are putting a lot of effort, wasting a lot of cards to put counters onto your creatures. And if those creatures go away, then you've lost your investment. You almost feel like you got a little bit of a two-for-one. And these commanders really help you out by mitigating those downsides. If you lose your creatures, Nikara draws you cards for them. And if Yannick leaves the battlefield, then you get another creature back to help you start fresh again and you have another creature to start putting counters onto. This is an engine I can absolutely get behind. These are definitely my favorites of the set. And they're both leaves the battlefield and enters battlefield triggers, so there's a lot of room for, you know, blink shenanigans and tricks with with cards that you know exile creatures you control like what was the desert from amon cat endless sands yeah endless sands where there's safe haven from way back in homeland so there's like it's it doesn't have to necessarily kill the creature or stay gone permanently like in yannick's ability you can mess around with things there too to get effects yeah, oh my goodness. Blink spells like the lands that you just mentioned, but also like a ghost way or an eerie interlude. Very powerful with commanders yeah. like these because you get those leaves the battlefield triggers. That's something I'm absolutely here for. And again, I like that it goes wide without going infinite. Yep. All right, so those were the commanders from the sets, but now we want to move into some of the cards within the 99s, these original cards that we're seeing in these pre-cons. And in particular, we've chosen a few cards that we think will rise to the top in terms of popularity because that is what EDH Rec is all about. We've got a lot of niche cards in these decks that fit into the cycling strategy or into the keyword or into the mutate strategies. Um, but we really want to try and see if we can identify any of the cards that might rise up in terms of popularity. Starting off with, I think, what have to be the most obvious in terms of broad applicability to many commander decks, the cycle of free spells if you control a commander. As an example, there's Flawless Maneuver. This is a three-mana white instant. If you control a commander, you may cast this spell without paying its mana cost. This one gives your creatures indestructible until end of turn. And there's a cycle of these spells, one in each color. The blue one counters a non-creature spell. The black one exiles a creature. The red one redirects a spell to a different target. The green one is a fog that prevents damage that your opponent's creatures would do. These are extremely good spells, you guys. Yeah, I, I can't really pick anything bad about these. I think black is the weakest one. I try to evaluate them if I don't have my commander playing, paying four mana to just exile a creature. And it's not a great rate, but Flawless Maneuver is is awesome. I'm I'm really into Flawless Maneuver. The blue one, having a free negate if you have your commander out. I have two decks that I'm going to put that in. These, I, I probably have a, a deck that I can find a spot for all five of these. 
yeah, false maneuver is maybe the easiest one to like just because we're kind of accustomed to paying that cost already and things like root board defenses to give yourself indestructible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so if you have to just cast without your commander out, you don't feel too terrible about it. I, I think you mentioned having the commander out. I've seen a lot of people that really, you know, we're talking about these being like, oh, this is an auto include in every deck. And I, I think you really need to pay attention to how frequently your commander's in play and if you're playing the kind of deck where it isn't always a given that your commander's out, how comfortable are you hard casting these? Because sometimes you're, you you maybe shouldn't be hum- comfortable paying that cost. Potentially, yeah. But especially one of the strengths of the cycle is that these cards are good, particularly to help you keep your commander yes. in play. And Matt, I think that's why you identified the black one as maybe the most lackluster of these. Yeah. You know, Fierce Guardianship, which is the blue one that counters a non-creature spell, that helps you keep your commander safe from removal. Same thing for the red one, which redirects a removal spell that might be targeted mm-hmm. at your commander. Or the green one allows you to attack with your commander and then be safe from an enemy attack back at you. Whereas the black one, that's probably maybe a little bit win more if you've got your commander in play because getting rid of a creature that's going to be usually more defensive not necessarily something you need if you've got your commander in play but even then these are really really excellent cards and are absolutely going to rise to the top in terms of their popularity well i mean and there's direct correlations for pretty much all of them too but i mean unbreakable formation is almost the same card as flawless maneuver except you know it's it's three mana to make your creatures indestructible they just have a different shift on on that take but I love Flawless Maneuver. That's probably the best of the cycle just because... Oh, being... no, the blue one, man. The blue one's uh, amazing. Free Counterspell if you control your commander, that is super big protection. That's uh, I, I agree. I, I think the blue is number two, but man... If people are letting you keep your blue commander in play, yes. then you're already probably winning. Probably. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Matt, you play too much Selesnia. Your head has been corrupted by that. The, the blue oh, counterspell is is real, 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 real. Oh no, I'm, I'm absolutely putting it in Niv-Mizzet, but man, I Flawless Maneuver goes into so many of my decks because a lot of them play white and I like it's playing with my good. commander. I, just think that we've got, I like that we're nitpicking over which one we think is we like are. the number one. Because they're all, anyway. all outstanding. It's a great cycle. Good. Yes. Yeah, they're very, very good. Uh, there's another cycle here, too, that we might as well address while we're talking about it. And these are the impetus cards. They're auras that go onto enemy creatures and go to those creatures and then give you a small reward for them. So, for example, shiny impetus is the red one that gives you a treasure token when the enemy creature that you've enchanted and goaded attacks. And it also gives it a slight buff. There's a green one that forces the enchanted creature. Uh, it must be blocked. And then there's a black one that you drain life from the person uh, when their creature attacks. Where are you guys at with these? Might as well talk about them, right? I think at some point they will make that vow cycle be something I want to run, <laughs> but today is not that day. The vow of malice and yeah. stuff like that from the original Commander product. I think they're, I, they're it fine, is an improvement. But like, I think they're, they're fine, but I don't know what I cut from a deck that runs auras that makes me want to run these. Yeah, they, they are fairly political. I do. I love the goad mechanic. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of hilarious making somebody attack somebody else. So I, I like this. I like how it's a fixed vow cycle, like like you guys said. Uh, I don't know if I actively am going to search out decks to put these in, but I do like the design and I like what they're doing just because, like I said, Goat is just a very neat mechanic and it messes up a lot of things that might be going on. 
Yeah, I think I'm still going to prefer to run Bloodthirsty Blade from the previous precon, which mm -hmm. is an equipment that you can reattach to other enemy creatures um, rather than risk losing your aura. I think if I am running a deck that cares a lot about enchantments, uh, specifically if I get enchantment triggers, for example, enchantment-based removal is very good, but then I'd probably want to run more of the Kenrith's Transformation or Lignify in that regard. Um, so I'm not sure it hits there. It really is going to have to be something more along the lines of I want people to attack. These are probably a cycle of cards that you really have to be a dedicated force people to attack attack deck, maybe as backup for something like a Thantis or possibly something like Marisi as well. All right, so those were some of the cycles, and we definitely think that the free spells are going to rise up to the top, but we also each picked about three cards that we specifically uh, think may rise to the top in terms of popularity too, some cards to maybe keep your eye on. Matt, what is your first card from this set that you think might rise up and be ubiquitous, show up in a lot of decks, be really interesting, noteworthy card, what you got? So my first card that I like to point out is going to be Molten Echoes. So it is two red red for an enchantment. As Molten Echoes enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Whenever a non-token creature of the chosen type enters the battlefield under your control, create a token of it that is a copy of that creature. That token gains haste and exile it at the beginning of the next end step. I think any creature type that likes lots of enter the battlefield abilities, uh, Elementals recently comes to mind because of all the help they've gotten, seems absolutely bug nutty with this. I mean, if you have a Risen Reef in play, <laughs> you can play any Elemental at all, and you're going to get so much value. Avenger of Zendikar gets even better. Uh, I mean, there's any way to abuse Enter the Battlefield abilities in red. Uh, this is a perfect card for that. And the fact that it gives it haste means you have some chip in damage for attacking too. Its popularity will probably be mitigated a little bit by the fact that I don't think this is great for some of the more classic red tribes that we see, like vampires or goblins. You really want to copy big creatures here. So something more along the lines of a dragon or a demon or a dinosaur or an angel deck. Definitely the type of thing that would be a lot better for the Molten Echoes rather than the tiny tribes. But its tribal applicability is definitely a nice thing to help boost up its numbers. And I don't think you even have to necessarily pick a tribe that you have a bunch of, of copies of. If you're playing something like, say, um, Brea, Ethereum Shaper, if you just name human, you're going to make additional thopters when when Brea comes into play. If you are playing Jired, Conclave Exile, and just name human mm. there, when Jired comes into play, you'll make an additional 4-4 green rhino creature token. So... You know, if if you're, it's it's maybe worthwhile in some decks just to spend four mana just to name your commander. Could be certainly. I also think it um, is going to be worthwhile in terms of its ability to go infinite with something like Felidar Guardian, the cat that enters and then mm. blinks something. So you make a token of the Felidar Guardian and then blink the original Felidar Guardian, which immediately comes back and then makes a token, and the token then blinks the Felidar Guardian, and then you make the other token, and then and it goes infinite, and then there's a lot of craziness that you can do with that too. Um, so that's another thing to watch out for when it comes to this one. Dana, what's a card that you? You've got that you think might be showing up or that is probably really noteworthy um you know i i think nesting grounds the land is kind of interesting it taps for a colorless mana or you can spend one to move a counter from target permanent you control onto another target permanent um i i don't know if it has a ton of utility but like for example to use myself who has a mono white Super Friends deck, there's almost no downside to utility lands in a deck that only needs white mana, and the ability to spend one mana to maybe move a Planeswalker that no one thought was an alt range, then into alt range um, by moving a counter off one to the, to the other is pretty useful, and there's just not a lot of downside there. So I think there's there's enough decks out there where um, it may not be like an amazing card, but there's just really no downside to it. And you're going to find some nice little pieces of utility without really having to lose anything. 
Yeah, that's certainly a cool one. I can get behind that. Uh, a card that I think is pretty interesting is Call the Coppercoats. This is a three-mana instant with Strive. You can pay two more to pick additional targets, and what it does target is an opponent. You choose any number of target opponents, and you create X 1-1 white human soldier creature tokens, where X is the number of creatures that those opponents control. This, I actually think, scales pretty nicely. If someone else is running away with the game, this is a very cheap spell that helps you catch up, and in the token-specific decks that have enters the battlefield triggers such as Cathar's Crusade or Orvishard, for example, or if you're manipulating them by doubling the number of tokens that you make with an anointed procession, or possibly turning them into angels instead with divine visitation. This is a very sly card that I think actually packs a really, really big punch, and it scales nicely if someone else is taking over the game in a way that you don't really like too much. Compared to a lot of the other token-making spells that we see in white, which tend to be a lot of mana, even Secure the Wastes costs like six mana if you just want to make five tokens. This is a much cheaper spell that can make you a whole lot more going on, which I really appreciate, and it's also instant speed. So token decks, I think are going to be really happy to see this one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that it's instant speed. It almost can be kind of a white fog at the at the bare minimum. Say somebody's attacking oh, yeah. and yeah. you need a bunch of chump blockers, play this targeting the person attacking you and you at least can chump all the people, at least the people that are attacking you, if not their entire battlefield. So I do like that it's instant speed. There's a little bit of, of versatility, kind of a toolbox type of card, which I am all about. Yeah, very nice. I really like the fog applic applicability there too. All right, Matt, what's your next one? My next one is kind of a Dana card, actually. It's Decoy <laughs> Gambit. It is two and a blue for an instant. For each opponent, choose up to one target creature that opponent controls, then return that creature to its owner's hand unless its controller has you draw a card. Now, I is, think is, that a, is that a Dana card because you think I would play it or because I actually had that card as a preview on my other podcast? Oh, I didn't. We don't talk about the other podcast <laughs> yeah, on this podcast, Dana. How I, could you? I didn't know that this was your other podcast preview <laughs> card because... Actually, no, I did enjoy that video. I love Max and Chris, good dudes. But I actually like this a lot because it's just, it's going to be a three for one in so many different scenarios. Even if at worst it's three mana at instant speed, draw three cards or some combination of drawing some cards and bouncing somebody's best creature. I like the versatility here. I Giving opponents a choice isn't always good, but if you're playing with three other people, chances are one of them is gonna make the wrong decision. So I do like that you are able to at least maybe bounce three creatures or draw three cards or or somewhere in between. I think that there's enough value here that you're going to end up mana positive compared to the rest of the battlefield when you cast this. Yeah, I, I unfortunately am going to challenge your particular card here. I don't like this one as much. The times that you'll want to draw cards, people won't let you. And the times that you'll want people to get rid of those to let you draw cards, which hopefully will find you answers. But I, I don't like that this one hamstrings you a little bit into when you can use it. And then it gives your opponents full control over the final decision. That's just my take. Sorry. I think you need to politic better and make somebody <laughs> give you. I have a group <laughs> hug deck. I know how to politic. How dare you? Dana, what about your next card? My next card is Twinning Staff. It's an artifact for three mana if you would copy a spell one or more times instead copy it that many times plus an additional time and you may choose new targets for the additional copy you can also spend seven mana and tap it to copy a target instant or sorcery spell you control and choose new targets for the copy um you know we have a commander in this very this very uh set calamax that copies a spell so right there just dropping it and never even having to put mana into it you're going to get a second copy of the spell that calamax copies we have a few other commanders out there raiku melek that do copying things as well where it's probably pretty good um you know if you're looking to do that calamax combat tricks deck running a bunch of infect creatures for example like i was debating doing <laughs> and making a bunch of you know giant growth kind of effects to one-shot people this just gives you one more way to copy those 
um, buff spells in, in the middle of combat. I think it's a useful card in a lot of decks. We, you mentioned the word niche earlier. I think a lot of these cards are very niche, but I think the decks where they work, they will do a lot of work. And I think this will do a lot of work in that Kalamax deck and in Raikou and in Melek. I certainly hope so. It strikes me as a win more card, but I would like to be proven wrong very much. Yeah, 10, uh, ten mana for that effect is... Well, That's a lot of mana. If you're already copying a spell, it's really only the three. Uh, hopefully, yeah, yeah. Uh, so something like the Calamax, as you mentioned, there are dedicated commanders yeah. for it that will make amazing, amazing use of it. But it is the kind of thing that you definitely need to be very intentional about. Uh, my next notable card is also a three mana artifact. This is Manascape Refractor. It's an artifact that enters the battlefield tapped and it has all activated abilities of all lands on the battlefield. And also you can spend mana as though it was mana of any type to, uh, excuse me, of any color to pay the activation costs of mana escape refractors abilities i like this because it is another cabal coffers for me in the decks that have cabal coffers or it's someone else's maze of it or stuff like that like this is a really cool card that at its very worst will be a mana rock and i am very happy about that yeah yeah i mean it's it's it, it's kind of a high floor type of card it's not Did i hear an it, f from dana i think it's fine <gasps> i think it's a three mana rock that comes into play tapped that you hope is good because you either find your Cabal Coffers or someone else plays something good. I don't like necessarily relying on that. I think it's fine, and I think it's going to have games where it is an all-star, and there's going to be games where you're annoyed at it. I, I think I'm going to lean a little more towards Dana. Like, sure, sometimes it'll be a guy's cradle. Other times it's going to be, I don't need Alchemist Refuge, which isn't, like, terribly exciting anyway, so... I can't believe it. I get excited about one card in this set, and you guys are poo-pooing it. I, oh, you poo-pooed is... on my decoy gambit. I'm going to poo-poo on anything that you say the rest of this episode. Well, Not then really. tell me about your next notable card, and I'll poo-poo on that one. What is it? Uh, well, good luck poo-pooing on the meme card of this whole set. It is sleep, Slippery Bogbender. Uh, it's three and a green for a 3-3 three, three human druid with flash. Uh, the Bogbender has Hexproof, but when it enters the battlefield, you put a Hexproof counter on target creature. Then you may move any number of counters among creatures you control onto that creature. So it's not a great card. Uh, it's going to be silly. It's going to be very meme-tastic. I mean, there's a slippery boggle over the shoulder of the Bogbender. Bogbonder, excuse me. It's it's a silly card. I think there's going to be some plays where it's absolutely crazy. Like you can build your own Voltron in this type of environment, which is going to be kind of cool. But Man, it, I saw this and I just immediately was like, oh my gosh, this is so ridiculous, but it's so great. Yeah, it isn't anything that we haven't already seen in green. Um, I think that that's certainly notable. We do have other things that can protect your stuff. It will be good at that role. Um, I'm a guy who plays a deck that likes to move counters around, and I'm not sure I need an effect like this to help do it. But at the same time, that is a deck that has a lot of sacrifice outlets built in, which probably isn't the take that most people are doing in a counter-specific deck. So that will also probably help out with other utility. Um you might there, want to do it in that Okima and Kazir deck. I'm just saying I suggested that earlier. Potentially could. I still don't like Hexproof counters. Um, <laughs> but there's certainly applicability here. And this card, as I think you're correct to mention, will be popular for no other reason than the fact that Slippery Bogle is much beloved. Um, so it can be good and beloved, and then that will certainly push up the numbers. So keep your eye on it for sure. Dana, what's your last most noteworthy card? Um, Surly Badgesaurus, <laughs> which is a badger dinosaur. <laughs> And it does not remotely at all what you think it would do. Indeed. It's kind of the <laughs> equivalent of a card we got last year, Bone Miser. And it says, whenever you discard a creature card, put a plus one counter on Surly Badgesaur. Whenever you discard a land card, create a treasure token. And whenever you discard a non-creature, non-land card, Surly Badgesaur fights up to one target creature you don't control. So 
Number one, I'm really hoping this is part of a cycle we slowly get, like the Aetherling, Torchling, Brightling thing, where they slowly <laughs> roll out this cycle of two-word named things with two creature types that interact with discarding in three different ways. Um, but I think there's quite a few wheel decks out there already, things like, you know, you see Maelstrom Wielder as a wheel deck, you see uh, Locust God as a wheel deck. We just got two new ones, I think, that people will wheel with a lot. So this seems like a good card to run in all of those decks. It doesn't just seem like a good card. If you're discarding lands, it this for refuels sure will you with, with the treasures so that then you can cast another wheel, another wheel. This is the fight spell and the fact that it gets bigger are incidental. The treasure making capabilities of this card, especially if you're using cycling abilities to refund the cost that you just paid to discard a cycling land. This is the kind of thing that generates nasty, nasty turns, especially in those wheels decks. Well, and it's not just wheels. It's like, you're right, in, in a dedicated cycling deck, it's going to do work. In a in a madness kind of deck, it's going to do work. It has a lot of uses. Yeah. Well, I think one thing that you will need to make sure you keep an eye out for is that fight clause is not a may. So whenever you right, discard correct. it, the, the, whenever you, the non-land... But it is up to one. It, you choose up, up to, to one. one okay, creature, so you okay. can choose zero. All right. I, I just, yeah. I didn't see the may fight, so I stand corrected. Yeah, no, treasure-making thing when you discard this is, put this into your Andre Falcon Wrath decks too because yeah. it can be real good there. Put it into your wheel stuff. This has a lot of places and those wheels decks, I want to call them niche, but I don't think in the coming months they will be. This is the kind of thing that actually I think a lot of people will end up playing because of how many powerful effects they have from this pre-con set. Uh, my last notable card that I want to mention is Selective Adaptation. This is a six-mana sorcery that says you can reveal the top seven cards of your library and choose from among them a card with flying, a card with first strike, and so on for double strike, death touch, haste, hexproof, indestructible, lifelink, menace, reach, trample, and vigilance. You put one of those chosen cards onto the battlefield and the other ones into your hand. The rest go to your graveyard. And the reason that I wanted to mention this is actually because it kind of reminds me of the episode that we did, the data hiding in your deck, because there's a little bit of math that we can potentially do on this one to see whether it's a good enough card to play. And I actually think the numbers do really work in its favor. So let's imagine that you start with, you know, the 99 cards in your deck, the one card in your command zone, you draw seven for your opening hand, so you're 92 cards there. And let's imagine that you draw a card and play a land, draw a card, play a land, until you get to the six mana that you need to be able to cast this spell. So it leaves you with 86 cards in your deck, and then this card reveals the top seven cards. Let's say that there are 30 creatures in your deck that this will work with. If you are going off of that metric, then the probability that you hit zero creatures off of this spell is basically almost 0%. You will definitely hit a creature with this math if you've got like 30 creatures in a dedicated deck like this, which I expect will be largely true for a deck that wants to play this card. The chances that you'll hit exactly one creature off of this is around 18%. The chance that you'll find two creatures is around 30%. The chance that you'll hit three creatures, about 27. The chance that you hit four is 14%, and then it gets a lot lower from there. So this actually seems like a pretty good deal. You're very likely to hit probably two creatures, sometimes maybe three creatures, to put a creature into play and then get one other creature into your hand, or sometimes maybe two. Very infrequently, but still possibly, you'll just find one. So then I guess the question isn't, is this card going to whiff? Because I don't think that it really necessarily will. The problem is more, are the creatures with the keywords good enough? For, to run this card. And that's a question I actually want to pitch back to you guys. I mean, I, I, it's really easy to get your man investment back if you're building your deck right. Uh, I've played Collected Company many, 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 many times in Modern. Uh, it's never really that hard as long as you're building your deck correctly. Uh, I, If I'm putting this in a deck, 30 creatures is probably the low end of what I'm playing in, the, in that deck anyways. So more than likely, you're going to at least get 
two creatures. And if you're building your deck correctly, uh, making sure you take into account mana costs, you're going to get your mana investment back, which is very, very important. You want to make sure that you're at least getting six mana worth of creatures with this type of card. And in Commander, that's probably not too hard if you're hitting at least two creatures. I think the question we should be asking is, are you already running Solvala Stampede? Yeah. <laughs> and if no, then you just run that for the same exact mana cost. Um, and then if yes, do you also want this? That is exactly the reason that I wanted to bring it up is like, do those numbers, not even like, oh, so it will whiff, is this worth it? Like, do those numbers compare to the other stuff that we already have? In fact, is playing just a six mana green creature in this slot instead that has a very powerful enter the battlefield ability, say something like a Bane of Progress, for example, is that going to be more effective than potentially getting something that has some keywords and drawing yourself a card sometimes maybe too? And I think the answer is probably yes. So this is a notable card that I really want to keep my eyes on. The numbers do work in its favor, but I'm still not sure if the impact is necessarily there. You do have to build around it a slight bit. Normally you'll be able to get stuff, but you want to make sure the stuff that does have keywords is really, really impactful to make this as good as you mentioned, Dana, as something like a Silvala Stampede that can make a really, really big hit on the table. So that, I think, moves us into, actually, we just talked about some maybe notable cards or cards that we think will show up in high numbers. A lot of the other ones that we didn't address here are going to be pretty niche. For example, there are new cards that have Mutate. That's largely going to be dedicated to a Mutate deck or cards that we're cycling that we previewed, for example. If you want to check out our previous episode on this thing that we... Uh previewed some cards. Those are cool, but they're also usually going to be in the cycling decks. They're very dedicated to that. There's also some human tribal stuff. Those are a little bit more niche and we didn't want to address them because they might not show up as popular. But we do want to, as always, challenge the stats. And while we don't have numbers on some of these cards here, there are some in these decks that we think will inevitably become overplayed. And that's what we want to talk about now. Challenge those stats on cards that we think might be traps or that maybe are going to see more popularity on Trek than they necessarily deserve. So Matt, how about you start us off by challenging these stats when there aren't yet stats, but I think you know what I mean. Well, the last time I preemptively challenged some stats, you got a little fussy with me, so I'm glad that I get to do it now. Uh, but the card that I'm going to point out that I think is going to be overrepresented a little bit uh, is Tidal Barracuda. It's three and a blue for a three, four fish, just a fish. <laughs> uh, but any player may cast spells as though they had flash and your opponents can't cast spells during your turn. So... If you've ever seen any episode of the Command Zone ever, you'll know that Josh Lee Kwai loves Vidalcan Orrery, and it's certainly a very, very powerful card. But giving a Vidalcan Orrery to all of your opponents, that seems like something that's sure to backfire. Yes, they can't cast spells during your turn, but that's not going to stop them from doing it on somebody else's right before you. It's going to, A, be very hard to keep track of how many people are casting spells at any given time. But uh, I, I think... <laughs> This card is very exciting. It reads better than I think it's going to play out. I, I would have to agree. I don't like the idea of giving other people flash, especially the way that that will shape the game, sort of shift the turn cycle one to the left or something like that if everyone's just going to, you know, wait until the last possible minute yeah. to do everything. What you'd really want to do with this card is play it on a turn that you know that you're going to combo or storm off and make sure that no one interrupts you rather than trying to make it a little bit political and save yourself from something. Its applicability is very much, I am a storm deck so that no one can mess with me as opposed to being fun and weird. Giving other people flash is very very dangerous I, and i think there's there's other cards that you can keep people from casting spells on your turn if that's what you're going for there's there's other cards especially in blue that already do that so if this is your way to enable that ability you probably want to look elsewhere 
Yeah, it, it's maybe the um, equivalent in blue of concordant crossroads and green. You're not playing concordant <laughs> crossroads and giving the table haste with the intention that it's going to stick around for multiple turns. You're doing that on the turn that you're going to kill everyone. I, I think Joey is right on. Like this might be a thing you would play on the turn you want to keep anyone from responding. Other than that, I don't know if you want it sitting out and play for multiple turns, mm-hmm. unless you just want to do chaos stuff. If like that's the if that's what you're doing, <laughs> then it makes sense. But I think if you think this is going to come down and be beneficial to you outside of that one turn when you want to storm off or something, I think you are you know for a world of hurt. I mean, yeah. imagine imagine a turn though where somebody tries to wrath. Uh, it's like in somebody's end step and so they try to flash in a avacyn and then somebody else flashes in something else that's going to bounce something like it's going to get so many confusing board states Mm -hmm. indeed which i don't think will ultimately be to the benefit of the player who plays this and unfortunately it's really sad but i feel that way about a lot of the especially blue cards uh in this set like there's an otter that gives someone else an extra turn and then you get protection from them on that turn but again i think that's too much benefit to your opponents and that's also how i feel about the barracuda unless you're using it like you mentioned dana speaking of which dana what is your pick that you would like to challenge i I, I think i have two of them here um there's cartographers just play a mana rock um, sorry, that's Cartographer's Hawk. And there's Verve, uh, excuse me, Verge, just play a Mana Rock. Um, actually, that's, that's Verge Ranger. I read that one wrong as well. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I, I appreciate what they're trying to do. And, I, and I, I say that I'm being a little bit sarcastic. I think these cards probably do have homes in some decks. Um, Cartographer's Hawk is flying. It's a 2 1. When it deals combat damage to a player who controls more lands than you do, Return to its owner's hand, and if you do, you may search your library for a planes card, which is not a basic planes, and put it onto the battlefield tap and shuffle your library. Verge Rangers has first strike, and you can look at the top of your library at any time, and as long as an opponent also controls more lands than you, you may play lands from the top of your library. So I think those do kind of have uses if you're playing like a bird tribal deck or you care about ETB triggers, like maybe Afara does, where you're going to get to draw cards off ETBs. Um, I do think there's a home for both of these, but I think unless you're playing that really specific deck that's going to interact with Verge Rangers being a human or you care about the bodies for some reason, I think you're just better off playing a Mana Rock. I unfortunately I don't disagree with you. I don't think that these solve the problems that white has because I don't think that ramp is a problem that white has because you can play mana rocks. Attaching ramp effects to creatures I think is also risky because they yes. are the most killable type. And can we talk about for a moment the fact that the hawk shows up in the obzon deck which includes green and therefore will probably have the ability to get well, some lands. The, the other problem is is catch up mechanics don't really stack necessarily. Right. You know, if you're playing green ramp you're just ramping. You don't care. It doesn't care how many lands you have. You're just ramping and ramping and ramping. In this case, if you have too many of these effects, they don't do you any good. Um, so, you know, if you don't have a, a land tax, which is a reasonable thing, that's a pricey card, or a tithe or a gift of estates or something, these might get the job done. But if you're somebody who has a, you know, white deck or a Boros deck and you're running a couple of those effects, I don't think you want to run more of them that might wind up being dead in hand. See, I... I feel like there's a little bit, little bit of a double standard. We're we're trying to fix some of the problems that mono white or Boros have, and these are. I, I don't. I'm not saying that these are doing that. These are fixing it, but I think they're working on it. And sure. And the problem is, 
I, I, these don't get you ahead. They only help you keep par. And I think that's people's biggest frustration with them is they're not going to get you ahead of opponents. They're only going to make sure that you can keep the same pace they are. And I do agree that that isn't the most ideal thing, especially in a game of Commander where you're trying to accumulate as many resources as possible. But putting putting them on a creatures, I don't mind that as much as, as you guys do because white typically cares about having creatures. So it's just, it's very white. It sucks that white has to play fair all the time. I, I will say this too. I, I, will, I will definitely um, make a note about this. Maybe we don't need more cards like Smothering Tie that are just good in literally any white deck. Maybe it does make sense to have things like this that are useful in someone's specific niche deck versus something that's just always great. So I'm kind of on board with that as long as we continue to get these effects that are useful in a different array of decks and sure. might eventually you'll find one that's good in your particular deck. Well, and the thing that stinks though is when you print a card like Smothering Tithe that benefits more than just the Mono White and the Boros right. decks, then everybody gets to use it and, and it doesn't actually doesn't help, help white, fix really. the problem. Yeah, it doesn't right. fix the problem. So you have to make it narrow enough, but then powerful enough. And I think that's that's such a hard thing to do. Yeah. And I think people have more... People are easier at suggesting the problems than actually suggesting Absolutely. answers to the problem. Yeah, I. this is excellent discussion. I almost feel bad for interjecting into it. I, I think that those are all <laughs> really good points. I just also ultimately don't think that this fixes the problem. So I guess I'm sure. that's fair. sound like the, the curmudgeon leaf well, Joey, that you were just talking about. Tell, tell us about your card. I shall. Then. Yeah, it feels like maybe less of an entertaining discussion will be had about this particular one. And there were a number of cards that I wanted to address. There's, you know, a black card that gets things out of the graveyard in this set. Dredge the Mire, I think, for example. Like, I don't like that it gives other people the choice over it. There are ways you can manipulate that. That might be interesting. I like graveyards. No, I can't talk about it. I have to talk about Netherborn Altar. This is a two-mana black artifact, so it does cost one and a black, and you can tap, put a soul counter on Netherborn Altar, and you put your commander into your hand from the command zone, then you lose three life for each soul counter on Netherborn Altar. I think this is a huge trap card. Um, this, this looks appealing to help you get around something like command tax if your commander has gotten too expensive, but... I don't think that folks should play it, and I think that is the wrong applicability for this. This is a card that really, I think, only belongs in a deck like Phage the Untouchable or Tetsamok or Hakon, all things that require you to have them in hand or not be cast from the command zone, basically. Even if you're playing this in like a partner deck, as we see that there are several here to try and like save on the increasing mana costs of your partners or to try and get back something expensive, I three life a card in your hand and the two mana that this costs is not worth evading commander tax no matter how long this game has gone i would much rather pay commander tax a few times than cast this card because it will get dangerous and most importantly there's a lot of proliferate happening around here one of the most popular commanders ever is atraxa and if you use this once they will make sure that using it again is not an option for you so i think that this is a very dangerous card that will not help you but will hurt you yeah i i, I kind of agree with you joey i, I think the amount of mana you're going to save on the commander tax has to be really, really significant to outweigh not just running a mana rock that's going to generate you one mana every single turn. I don't know what the math is before it outweighs it, but I have a tough time believing you're going to hit that threshold very often. Yeah, yeah. I think the decks that it is good on, good in, like you said, Phage, Tetsamok, Hakon, those... Yeah. The, the decks that it is good in, it's going to be very good in, but those are very, very few decks 
they're few and far between. And, and, and in, in those decks, it's fantastic, but it's serving yes. a different purpose kind of too. Yes. Yeah. It pairs beautifully with the enchantment eliminated to prevent this from getting any counters and all. But even then, I'm not sure if that is worth the effort of just right. playing command tax. It's not that bad to play command tax. And so, yeah, I just think that this is kind of a kind of a trap card. Um I, I want to ask now, you know, we've talked about some notable cards. We've talked about some commanders here, and we've talked about um, some cards that we think might be a little bit overplayed. I just want to get your final impressions on these precons, guys. Where are you at? Are there, do you, are you impressed with the reprints, for example? Is this a thumbs up for you or a thumbs down like we evaluated on the last episode? Matt, where do you think that you're at with these precons? So the reprints are passable. I know that's one thing <laughs> that everybody kind of focuses on. They're They're not great. I think they're they're fine. They're, they're nothing special. My biggest compliment for the decks, though, is that when you look at the deck and the marquee commander, they feel like the most complete decks. Like, they're not scattered across several different strategies like several decks have been in the years past. When you look at, you know, the Abzan deck, it looks like it's going to function fairly well under the helm of the marquee commander. All the decks do that. The, the cycling deck, the monster, or the mutate deck, all of them look like they support the the marquee commander fairly well, better than years past. And I think that is one thing that should be pointed out. And we do need to give credit where credit is due. Watsi did a very good job at making decks that are going to play very, very well out of the box. Dana, where are you? I like the set. I think the reprints are marginally better than we got last year. I think the like the land base is marginally better than what we got last year. There, there's some upgrades along the way. Like it's always good to see Beast Within in the deck because everyone's gonna go pick one up and put it in their green deck anyway. So like why not just put it in there or same thing with Cross and Grip. Um we didn't get any really like huge, you know, worm coil engine level reprints or black market like when that was in there, but there was some nice ones. I appreciate that. I agree with Matt that decks feel much more cohesive. I feel like even the commanders that we didn't think were particularly good cards, when someone sits down and flips their commander over, I'm going to probably understand what the deck is and why they wanted to build it versus some past years when like someone shows me their Lycia Sanguine Tribune deck and I'm like, I have no idea what's going to happen here or why that deck spoke to you. Hmm. Um, so I, I think there's a there's a cohesion to the commanders that I like. The whole thing's very flavorful and weird. I like it as a whole, even if I don't think it's maybe a strong commander product in terms of adding a whole lot of cards to kind of the 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 canon of EDH. Yeah, that's I, I really don't like ending this on a, a down note, um, but that is ultimately where I come down on it. Of the reprints that we got, something like Locust God or Karametra is interesting, and Path of Ancestry I'm happy to see again. Um, Fluctuator, I appreciate that there are reprints that make sure that cards mm -hmm. don't get crazy pricey. This is one that's great because it would have gone way up in price if it had not been reprinted here, given all of the cycling stuff. Arcane Signet's nice to see, but ultimately, when I look through a lot of these lists, I'm... I feel like the improvement is that we are no longer missing all three signets in these decks. <laughs> we are no longer including Urborg Volcano as our land base, and we're including the Gain Life lands. Uh, the, the land base is, like you said, Matt, passable. This is the baseline of where I would want them to be. So that's good, but 
I, I, I don't know. I, I am worried, again, that it will sound like I'm being curmudgeonly or something. Good workers put a lot of time and effort into crafting something that they think that we will enjoy. And many folks will enjoy it. And I really hope that it hasn't sounded like I am bad-mouthing something that people are excited for. But I do not like this set. I find the Mardu Commanders to be a very big swing and a miss. I found the new abilities to be counterintuitive and probably difficult for new players to understand. When I asked about how mutate works, like I mentioned, I got three different answers. Um, like th this, and also more than anything, when it comes to like the the keyword counters, for example, that's something we saw on the playtest cards and the mystery boosters on the card Recycler Bird, and then it became an immediate thing within the very next set. Here, this feels like a silver bordered set to me is ultimately where I'm at, and that's why it just kind of makes me feel uncomfortable, and the whole product just doesn't excite me like I wanted it to, and that's really unfortunate. And I, I just I don't think that the commander pre-con set it, it's really a product for us as far as like us three and the type of player we are because we are fairly entrenched we we put a little more thought into deck building than the the typical player who is who is buying these so i think maybe we've graduated from where these are i think we could definitely appreciate them for what they are i think they're very important for the game and for the format i i think that is one thing that we can never take away from that but I do kind of feel that maybe the commander precons outside of specific cards, they're not really for me, but that's fine because not everything has to be for me because there's so much product going on this year. I mean, Commander Legends, I'm almost certain is going to be for us and for me. So I'm I'm excited for that. And I can I'm glad that the precons are still happening and still doing well. And I'm glad that they're they're playing around with different things, but I do agree this isn't my favorite precon set. I, I I can say that. Yeah, I I hope it doesn't also sound like I'm a magic player that's just impossible to please because I'm the guy who liked Commander 2018. Like the commanders got me very excited, even though, as we talked about on a previous episode, like the rest of the deck actually uh, seemed a little bit lackluster. But like, I actually do think that it is very easy to excite me. But this is just a set where it, it literally jumped the shark. And that's all that I can take away from it. There is literally a guy riding a shark. And I'm just like, oh, okay, so, what have we so crossed over into? Let's end on a positive note then. So we I, used to... I do have a, a super positive note, actually. Like, one of my favorite things about this, though, even though the set itself is kind of like, uh, for me, that's a technical term. Uh, <laughs> um, I do love, I absolutely love that the Commander precons are tied to the set release. Yes. That is something yes. that I am absolutely yep. here for. And that is something I completely want to see, even if these particular products did not do it for me. I want that to be a trend that continues. That's something I've wanted for a really long time. So I'm happy that that is happening, even if the overall product gets a thumbs down for me. See, I don't think I would give it a thumbs down. I, I still think that there's enough silly things going on. Maybe it is a little on the complex side. That's my biggest complaint is that it's just, it's very, very complex, especially for newer players. They jumped the shark, Matt. I just can't get over it. I will giggle every time I see that. And I'm not sure if it's a good giggle or a bad giggle. It's a shark giggle. Shark's going to eat me. Anyway, I think what we need to do is take all of this and call this episode to a close. Thank you guys so much for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? Matt? You can find me on the Twitters and you can find my stream on Twitch at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5, where we as a podcast also are streaming games once a week. That indeed. We are on Wednesday evenings. It's been a lot of fun. A lot of fun folks that are coming on there. And uh, hey, Dana, where can people find you? You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach and you can find me once-ish a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central. 
the other podcast. We don't talk about the other <laughs> podcast. And I am Joe Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. And you can find the cast at EDHRECcast on Facebook and on Twitter. If you have a question, a keen insight to EDHREC's data, or maybe a challenge to stats pick that you think that we ought to know about, you can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. Thanks again to Josh Lequai and the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on the podcast. And of course, thank you to our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. Once again, we are not entirely sure where their operations will be at when this episode releases, but once things settle, they are seriously great. You can find them using the price info links on EDHREC or by visiting CardKingdom.com slash EDHREC to help show your support for the show. Listeners, please let us know what you think of these pre-cons. Am I an old man yelling at a cloud? Were these, you know, exciting commanders for you? Do you like the cards that are here? Do you like the reprints? Is Dana truly a mutated person that's mutated several times? You really need to let us know answers to all these questions. And we will be back at you next week with more data and insights. And a set review for the full Ikoria layer of the behemoths. Until then, though, you should EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs>